Welcome to Poet in Bangkok. I'm Donald Quist. And I'm Colin Chaney. Every episode, we'll hear the stories of writers, artists, dancers, journalists, and musicians. Basically anyone we can get to talk with us. And Colin and I will try to piece together a larger narrative about making art and expressing yourself during this era of military rule in Thailand. On today's podcast, you're going to hear an interview with performer Sasapin Surawanich, also known as Pupe, a core member of the avant-garde physical theater troupe B-Floor. In our interview, Sasapin explains why she finds performing what B-Floor calls devised theater so much more compelling than traditional text-based plays, particularly in the current political climate in Bangkok. She tells us about how she came to understand social restrictions on the female body and female identity, and how physical theater allows her to pose and explore difficult questions about Thai-ness, what it means to be Thai, and a culture that doesn't always welcome such questions. We also wanted to say up front that Donald and I are going to try to give you as normal a podcast, an arts-based podcast uh, as we can given everything that's happening uh, in the world and above the world uh, as as normal as we can with uh, with, with goddamn unidentified objects <laughs> hurtling through space from Mars so anyway in our last episode we heard from writers che and yo and they spoke a little bit about the tendency of most Thai citizens to self-censor sometimes that Self-censorship is because of a fear of government reprisal. They each alluded in their own way to recent cases where Thai citizens have been uh, prosecuted and imprisoned for violating Article 112 for defamation of the Thai monarchy. And sometimes censoring themselves out of a desire to not fully reveal yourself fully to the world. Boupé talked a bit more directly about needing to be, as she said, quote, safe and subtle in dealing with political issues of the day. She seems to view art, and her art in particular, as a place where both actors and audience can challenge their perceptions, their preconceived perceptions of themselves and the world. In our last episode, Che talked about how his poems often operate by omission, how his readers are made aware of what he has left out, what is not printed. As we'll hear in our interview with Poupe, the ambiguity of her medium of physical theater allows her to explore often taboo subjects with a little less fear of repercussion. Words, straightforward narratives, are the thing omitted from B. Floor's physical theater. But like a poem, their movements on the stage create possibilities for exploration in each audience member's imagination, even if that exploration takes them into uncomfortable territory. How, for example, a B-floor performance might force you to confront your preconceptions or your fears or your anxieties about difficult things going on in the world or in your own life. Anxieties that I have plenty of these days. We also got to talk to Poupe about WikiLeaks whistleblower, the Thai-born scientist Pim Werasetakun, and the news about the objects approaching from Mars, which I know has got Colin kind of squeamish and, and squirrely <laughs> these days. <laughs> Thanks, dude. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's about that's about. You know, when these things first appeared, um, I, I, I got a text on my phone actually from my wife. And when she told me about this, I just thought, damn it. 
You know, now Colin's got another thing to worry about. You know, <laughs> another thing to make him anxious. <laughs> I'm glad that my anxieties and my sort of mental, my state of mental health is sort of, you know, <laughs> is sort of the thing that your mind goes to when you hear of terrible things happening in the yeah. <laughs> in the immediate solar system. I mean, yeah, I think what what's hard about this for me, well, <laughs> I think what makes this a little different is that my anxiety disorder uh, previously mostly involved terrors of my imagination kind of run amok. Mm. You know, I'd see the, you know, I'd be changing the batteries in the, in the AC remote and I, and I would see one bulging and I would just immediately think my daughter is going to open it and it's going to blow up in her face wow. and she's going to get burned and then she's going to get cancer. And then everything is just yeah. here. There are, objects coming from another fucking planet that i don't see how that can be a good a good thing at all well we don't we don't know yeah. any okay anything Fine. specific yeah. about it yet yeah you know, i know you, i know that's what you like no, just, that's what you like to think <laughs> you just you, you should just calm down a little you know it's the, i mean yeah i'm trying to i mean i'm, I'm trying to i i appreciate if i don't understand your your calm uh and i have been trying to keep things in perspective i'm thinking about some of the things that well about some of the things that pupe said at the end of the at the end of the interview and you know maybe for for your good as we continue to work together and certainly for my wife's good and my kids like maybe i should go back on antidepressants but i but i i sometimes i for some reason think that the global stocks of prozac and xanax are being swiftly depleted because I don't because obviously as we know people are starting to freak out and people don't know what to think and so the next couple of weeks are going to be uh, are going to be are going to be hard. Yeah, I know you were a little nervous when we first heard about the radiation spike, you know, off of Phobos. So <laughs> I can't even imagine what's going on in your head now <laughs> with like actual objects moving towards us. But you just got to remember, man. There's nothing. Nothing we can do about it. I understand. I just, I'm your... really curious what it would take to rattle you. Like what? Not the... much. <laughs> Not much. It's <laughs> just. It just needs to be immediate. It just needs to be yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Because I. Okay. I can only. I can only. If it's not in front of me. I mean, you don't know what's gonna happen. So coming through the atmosphere is what you're gonna. Yeah. And maybe not even then. You know, just. Just keep moving forward. You know, just. just <laughs> let's keep moving forward with the podcast. Let's keep. <laughs> recording like there's nothing yeah. else we can do no i mean i yes i mean i do not agree with you but i appreciate again i appreciate that but i have it's one of the curious things i mean i, I think I've, I've talked to you about this before i don't think i've talked about it on the podcast but i haven't read i haven't read really read poems mm. since i about a month into taking antidepressants so it's been about two years and even though i'm off them now i still don't read poems and i still don't really write poems but I w for some reason I went to went to my poetry bookshelf after I got this announcement sort of mm -hmm. thinking like that's where you got to you got to go to you got to go to that kind of wisdom when yeah. when stuff like this goes down and I and I I found myself reading um Lorca I found um reading Garcia Lorca and I found this bit in one of these poem one of his poems in Poet New York the city without sleep nocturne of the Brooklyn bridge mm -hmm. that I don't know it that made me feel like that reminded me what it is that we go to literature for and like kind of right. what it can do, even though, I mean, I'll just, I'll read you the part of it. I, I, I brought it here. Let me just get my book out here. Yeah. So this is from the Medina and Statman translation. It says, no one sleeps in the sky. No one. 
No one sleeps. The creatures of the moon smell and circle their cabins. Live iguanas will come to bite the men who don't dream. And he who flees with broken heart will find on the corners the still incredible crocodile under the tender protest of the stars. That's good. It's, I mean, it's really, I mean, that's the thing. You really, really like, that's really, really good. And there's, there's that strange, there's, a, there's some sort of strange truth in all that surreality, even though I immediately start thinking that there's probably iguanas and crocodiles inside those, <laughs> inside those, inside those, uh, those, uh, whale, whale, the whales is, I guess, what they're calling them. Yeah. And how, like, no one's sleeping. And yes, I'm having trouble sleeping. The creatures of the moon, well, not creatures of the moon, but creatures of Mars. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, like, and just thinking, like, you know, did we, did we wake something up on Mars? You know, was all that terraforming? Did that wake up? Anyway, I'm just, so all of that to say, I'm reading poems again. So if there's if there's any benefit to there being unidentified whale shaped objects coming from Mars, it's that Colin's reading poems yeah. again, y'all. Which so, I'm happy about. That's, thanks, that's man. Cool, thanks. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy about that. Yeah, another reason why I'm I'm sort of not entirely anxious about this it's because harbinger 2 is in route you know and so yeah i'm surprised they didn't see these objects like past them um so i know you follow them you follow them on twitter right yeah i follow them on twitter and you know they they seem pretty positive and optimistic and you you, and you believe that they're still actually in control of their twitter feeds that like that isaac has it has it isn't that that's not all coming from paris that it's not just uh (laughs) i have no reason not to believe it right so there's no Uh, point in worrying about it um they're gonna land on how do you pronounce the base it's arzia it's it's slightly unfortunate arcia base arcia Arcia mons is the is the volcano they're gonna land on that base they'll probably find shep and the rest of the crew um, it was probably some minor problem with like the communication system. They'll terraform it, and you know our grandchildren will be living on Mars. It's not. <laughs> I it's don't know, man. You are just so you're so strangely calm about this. I don't. This no I don't know. Freaking it, out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other way of thinking about it is like you're just de- totally denying, you're denying what is actually. I don't know. I mean, I guess I just. I mean, Obama says that the situation is under control. Everybody's closely monitoring it and that all American resources will be marshaled if necessary. And that's all you need, right? <laughs> America's on the job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like I like that. I, I mean, I, I do appreciate that Mexico is kind of rabble rousing. I guess they really that when they took Pim Wiersetokun into their embassy in Paris that that I don't know, maybe that just sort of maybe she's been giving them some information that. Well, obviously, she's given them information the rest of us don't have. So I appreciate that they're kind of clamoring and trying to raise some attention. But they, none of those countries, Brazil doesn't have a serious, mm. serious space program. Mm. But I just find myself, I find myself, I just think it's so fucked up that I'm hoping that that China and India and, and, and Russia, I, I'm finding myself hoping that they have much better star wars style orbital <laughs> space weapons then then they say that they do and i'm hoping that the u.s has some like super super sci-fi mm. weapons that they're going to be able to deploy i guess we'll see you know you 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 praise mexico and brazil and india and all these countries joining this sort of like preemptive strike against 
something we don't know yet. I actually think they're just, they're making people worry for no reason yet. And so, like, I actually don't agree there. See, that, see what, um, I, what I love about this is that is, that is so Thai. That is so <laughs> They're causing Thai. trouble. You know, they're just causing trouble. And, uh, you've, yeah, I guess you've been here long enough, man. I guess. Uh, I'm saying. Just don't ask questions. Don't cause trouble. Do I, who wants trouble? <laughs> all right. All right. All right. All right. Well, we got to move on. We're going to, we can write about it or you can write about it on, on the website. Yeah. Um, or we got to move on. I do. I do Sorry. realize that as we were talking about that, we just we just were sounding like like an updated War of the Worlds broadcast. Yeah, yeah. So that <laughs> yeah, we're gonna start sounding like Wells in here. So we we need to move on. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. You good? I'm good. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm just reflecting on yesterday. Uh, I was in the classroom and a student gave a presentation about elephant conservation. And it started getting me thinking about elephants in Thailand. So, Donald, what is the deal with elephants in Thailand? Well, it's hard to get a number on wild elephants in Thailand, but some experts propose there are about 2,000 to 3,000 wild elephants in Thailand. And according to the Thai Elephant Conservation Center in Thailand, uh, the population of domesticated elephants is about 2,700. So about 95% of Thai elephants are in private ownership. So that means like there's only about 300 that are wild? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Only about like 300 elephants are actually still in the wild. And Thai Elephant Conservation Center's 80 elephants being Thailand's only government-owned elephants apart from a few zoos. And the king also has... Uh, of course, the 10 white revered elephants, the royal elephant stable. Elephants are largely revered in Thailand due to the pachyderm playing a major role in key military battles in Thai history. And also Erawan, um, a mythical white elephant who carries the Hindu god Indra, is a popular symbol throughout the kingdom. You see four tusks, seven trunks. Erawan is, you can find him everywhere. You yeah. can find him all over on logos, on symbols throughout the kingdom. I also found this quote. Uh, after the student finished his presentation, I, I did some more research and found this quote on the Thai elephant conservation website. Disturbingly, some overseas animal rights groups have argued that tourists should not visit elephant camps, claiming it promotes cruelty. In fact, most Thai elephants are very well cared for. Partly because most Thai people are intrinsically kind and humane, but also because elephants are simply too valuable to abuse. A beautiful calf or a healthy young breeding female is worth as much as 700,000 baht or 22,000 baht USD. Dollars, not baht. Yeah, dollars. Yeah, yeah. All right. Although the camp to be visited should be carefully selected. The kindest thing that ethical elephant-loving tourists can do is visit a camp and enjoy elephants. Without work and tourism, elephant owners will have no means to care for their animals. End quote. To begin with, what did your what was your student's thesis? Was your student So my student's speech was actually trying to persuade students in the class that they should not support 
elephant tourism. Okay, so he was he did not agree with the he does not agree with Thai, Thai elephant yeah, conservation, conservation yeah. website. So he was saying that Thai elephant tourism promotes cruelty to animals, um, which, in my own experience, I have witnessed. And then I I've been thinking about uh, Barnum and Bailey Circus has now decided to stop using elephants in their shows. Yeah, I read that. I read that within like two years. Two years, three years, mm-hmm. they're going to shut that down? Yeah, phasing out. And they're all going to go to Florida. Oh, to retire. Yeah. Oh, elephants retire in Florida. Yeah, nice. Like the old. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. What would, what would elephants do in Florida, though? I'm not. Just What's hang, in Florida? Just hang out. Just, uh, just you know, vote or not, or not vote. <laughs> Be disenfranchised. Um, do you have any? Do you have I've, any I've never. I've, I've, no, I, I, have written, I have ridden an elephant. I rode an elephant in there's the a vineyard um a vineyard near Huahin where there are two elephants that live there that you can ride through the through the vineyard there's an animal sanctuary in Huahin right yeah there's, there's like also a, there's a also elephant? one down there okay yeah. yeah i don't know if you know again i don't think if you're if they are speechless the the mm-hmm. creature so i don't know i don't I didn't have any real way of gauging how well they were treated, but I was there with my with there with my parents, and we were riding. There were two elephants we were riding through, and my daughter had just been born, so she was probably two months old, three months old, and she was asleep on my chest, and we're on the top of the elephant, and it's incredible. It's an incredible motion when you're on the elephant. It's sort of like you feel like you're moving in four dimensions. You know, you're sort of like you're going, your body's sort of going. You can't adjust to it, and then so my daughter eventually wakes up right at the end of it, and she starts crying. And then all of a sudden, all of the, the Thai workers in the vineyard, they all step out of the vines. So they, they were, didn't see anybody there. Then all of a sudden, they were just kind of looking up at these farang, these white people, want, coming through, the, coming through the, the vines on these elephants. Uh, and I will, I will always remember that moment. But I think it was – I mean, I think I, I've never gotten a sense that, yeah, that, that probably the care of elephants is that great. But I remember, you know, for a while, everyone was talking about the, the elephant paintings – and you know, just a very quick search reveals that you know there's no way that those elephants are actually <laughs> enjoying painting. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. They have to be. It's not the natural creativity of the <laughs> elephant yeah. to paint a uh, yeah. a picture of themselves or someone else. I was just going to ask: Are you were you here? You arrived after they they reinforced that ban on elephants in the street, right? Yeah. In Bangkok, because when I first got here, when I first was here in 2009, the fine was only like four bucks if you got caught with an elephant wow. and people would bring elephants into the city and for a couple of bucks you could feed the elephant and you know you just see them in the middle of this you'd see them on the sidewalk in the street in front of the 7-eleven you know and they just little they're little guys they're the forest elephants these little these little elephants with a chain around their neck and you know it was, it was awful surreal. to see and then wow. they they i guess they were the mahouts were run by by criminal gangs right. they could totally i guess you could make like I read somewhere like 30 bucks a day per Per elephant, right. um, which you know was decent cash for a criminal act- enterprise, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but then they raised the fine to like several thousand dollars if you got caught, and like you could no longer find them in the, right. in the city. But I was driving down to Hua Hin once and pulled into a rest area, and there was one of these elephants, same sort of you know little little guy. I mean, the guy, I mean, the the how didn't look any better. Right. You know, it's like obviously just the whole situation is really sad. But like, just I'll always have that image in my mind of that little elephant chain around its neck outside of a gas station. Damn. Along a highway, damn. <laughs> yeah, I'm just. Uh, and so, so, like that, that, that. So when I, I think about that quote from the 
Thai elephant conservation, you know, that Thai people are intrinsically kind and humane. So how could there possibly be abuse? How could there possibly be abuse? Exactly. And yet also the, I find it fascinating that the ban of elephants in the streets of Bangkok is a response to cruelty and inhumanity or not being humane to elephants. So you're both acknowledging that there is a problem, but saying there's no way it could possibly exist. Are you saying the ability to talk out of both sides of your mouth might, yeah. be, uh, might be evidence? Like, and I just find that so fascinating. And then just the idea, yeah, you pushed people, these gangs, these, these crime syndicates dedicated to elephants. You pushed them out of the city. They didn't disappear. They're yeah. somewhere. They've got a, just a different racket. Yeah, they just got a different yeah. racket. And they have 95% of the elephants in the country. Yeah. What are they doing with them? Yeah. So I, I just find that quote just perfect, yeah. just absolutely perfect. I, I went. Well, I remember going to the up, up to Dusit, Dusit Park, and there they have the old, the old stables, the old elephant stables, and um, which are remar- you know, kind of remarkable things to to look at and think about these, you know, those these huge beasts living there, and they have the the white elephant skins uh, in, con- in preserved, contained in these big glass jars. Really. Um, which is a little spooky, but it like got ghost me, elephants. Yeah, and it got <laughs> me thinking about I'd I'd never. It got me thinking about white elephants, and I remembered that growing up at my school, there was a um, uh, sort of fundraiser for after-school programs at the school uh, every year, and it was you know everybody would you donate clothes and toys and various things to it, and they'd sell it and, and make profit for and the, to go to the programs. And my dad ran the white elephant table, oh. uh, which was all this sort of crap that couldn't get categorized anywhere else. I mean, it was mostly like toys and broken electronics and, and things like that. Um, but he, re- you know, that was sort of my youth and white elephant just always meant these, th- that table where my father, that my father was manning at this booth. And only later did I, did I come to understand. And I think it was, it was actually a poem. There was a Jack Gilbert poem. I don't know if you've read it, but it's, it's called in dispraise of poetry. It's very short. So I'll read it in dispraise of poetry. When the king of Siam disliked a courtier, he gave him a beautiful white elephant. The miracle beast deserved such ritual that to care for him properly meant ruin. Yet to care for him improperly was worse. It appears the gift could not be refused. I mean, it's a great little poem. and That you know, is awesome. Putting aside for a second... Yeah. You know, I think that's the first poem in the first book that Jack Gilbert ever published. And so that's not setting the bar high or anything for you. Like, I have this gift of poetry and I have to use it. If I don't, it would be even worse (laughs) to use my gift of poetry. Is this going to bring ruin? Which it kind of did for him. Yeah. (laughs) He wrote a lot of wonderful poems, but also lived a really, really hard life. But, but I, I learned after reading that poem that, that that's, that's true that yes, that, yeah. the, that that often the gift of a white elephant you would get, a king would give a white elephant to someone who he was displeased with yes uh, and you had to take care of it and it cost so much money to take yeah. care of it that it would ruin you and that was sort of how I guess that sort of got into common American parlance the, the idea of a white elephant being this sort of this beautiful mm-hmm. but, but sort of useless thing that kind of dragged you dragged you down right, so yeah. um i'm not i now think of all of those objects on my on that table in the in the boys gymnasium yeah. at the school as being um something that would drag us all down 
Or poetic. Or poetic. <laughs> or poetic. Or poetic. Oh. Yeah, the, the, the gift of a white elephant. Or I guess it was in March. They found a seven-year-old uh, white elephant in in Burma, wandering. It was a wild, wild elephant. Um, and if you haven't ever seen a picture of a white elephant, they're not actually white. They're kind of pinkish, kind of reddish brown, but they are very pale. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how traditionally the possession of a, of a white elephant meant that, uh, uh, that you were ruling justly and that you were bringing prosperity and peace upon uh, your, your kingdom uh, or, your, or your country. And, uh, and I know I promised with a wink that I wouldn't talk about the Mars oh, shit anymore, go. but here I think we that <laughs> we need, it would be really great if we could find some more white elephants right yeah. about now. Yeah. Just, oh, just yeah. find a few more white elephants. That would just mean peace <laughs> and prosperity. <laughs> Some white elephants to fight the iguanas and the crocodiles. Yeah, right, See, yeah. I can make a joke. I can okay. make a joke about it. Hi you. I'm not. I'm not. It's not a full blown. It's not a full blown. Not a full blown depression yet. Let's try to keep you out of it now. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's time for our interview with Sasa Pin, Bupe. We really enjoyed interviewing her at Rockademy in Bangkok, surrounded by drum sets and guitars and this really cool recording space. Colin had seen a performance um, by B4 Theater a couple years ago, and we heard about Boupe um, in her recent performances like Welcome to Uland and World War 101 and I Didn't Launch a Thousand Ships. And I personally got a chance to see a recent performance she had that was untitled um, at Bangkok Arts and Cultural Center, which was really great. And she seems like an intriguing guest. We're really fortunate to have her and to be able to have the chance to sit down with her and get her opinions. All right, let's go to our interview with Bay. High tone on the la Poupe. 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 Okay. What does it mean? Ah, well, Bu, the first syllable, is the crab. So mm. it's supposed to be like a type of crab, but it's not commonly known, so it can be just a name. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But it is, an, it is an actual crab. It is an actual crab, yeah. Oh. There's even a specimen sold in this, um, like, uh, a shop, a government co-op shop for, like, educational materials, and they sell this Bupe specimen, like, you know, fermented in this little jar. Do you have one? No, I don't, but I took a picture of it and I'm like, wow, there's me there, fermented, looking like it's dying, sold. Yeah, that would, I, I, would, pro- I would probably buy that, but I, would, I understand not buying it and just letting you stay there. Yeah, you don't need to come home I mean, me. it's that not would... pretty. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, I don't, I don't want that in my house. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm just going to jump yeah. in. I went to see your performance of Untitled at the Bangkok Arts and Cultural Center mm-hmm. and was really impressed with your performance, uh, specifically your ability as a dancer. Oh, thank you. And I wanted to ask if you could tell us about how or your first experience with theater and dance and how this came about. <laughs> I started with with being 
a really Thai Thai kind of person and student in university, meaning I didn't know much about the outside world, didn't care much about other things besides you know studying, just getting a degree, get a job, maybe have a family and whatever. And so I saw this theater auditioning opportunity one time in the university as like an extracurricular activity that a good student should just join, you know. So I'm like, oh, this is something I haven't done. So I joined. But then all the rehearsal process that we prepared uh, for staging the show just made me fall in love with, uh, with theater, with the world of theater, acting. And so I was very determined from that point onwards that I'm going to stay with theater no matter what it takes. And although that it wasn't related anyway in my studies, which is English literature. So, and then I came across B Floor Theater, hmm. and then I was I just jumped right into their workshop. So I'm just curious, yeah. why did you seek them out in particular, or why did you know that you wanted or needed that that physical theater training? Did, was that just something that when you had, were first exposed to it, you'd gotten a sense that that was the aspect of theater that you liked? Or that you just, you were just, were you, did you see one of their performances and say, oh, I no, want to do that? Or? I didn't know them. I, um, I, di- I didn't really seek them. I was just in the phase where I was still very young, freshly graduated, and really want to um, better myself in all the, the theater or performing skills in every way possible. And I knew that the limitation was still very much on the body. I mean, I could do well with like text or interpretation or whatever but then the body when it comes to like musical theater for example when you and also I was in things like Animal Farm where I play the cat and I had to train a lot and I knew that I could only do limited things and I needed this training and so I came across V Floor's um, ad on their intensive workshop it's a full um, week of training and so I just jumped right in and got to know them in the process I didn't know them before I didn't know who they were what they were famous for or anything I fell in love with their words their way of working and the people there too I met the artistic directors Ja and Kangye of B Floor and they were just amazing people and the things that they well coming from a traditional acting background I never saw anything like that I never knew that you could do so much with your body and create works from just working with your body and movement and even create a narrative a non-text narrative from just that and it, it was a whole new world for me so i know you you decided to focus your college study on mm-hmm. literature and i'm curious about how did literature or art what role did it play in your upbringing like why did you decide to focus on english and art? you're gonna hate me for the answer that i'm giving uh <laughs> It was the I, money. It was the money. <laughs> yeah, you're in it for the cash. It, it, it's <laughs> partly the money, and also I was just very good at English as a subject in school. Oh, okay. Why would we hate you for that? Hmm? Why would we hate you for that? I, it's just very non-artist kind of answer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not cool. It's not indie or anything. It's just that you know. Well, why not English? You're oh. you're good at it, and you're gonna make some money out of it, of course. And English literature sounds much cooler than going for a translation or <laughs> grammar, so why not? Yeah. It, it was really just kind of like that, yeah. But in the in my upbringing, um, my dad was very passionate about art. I mean, he played music, but he was a doctor, so he was too busy to actually do the art that he loved. But we we kind of had this um, little exposures pretty much the whole time, but it wasn't so intense. It was more like he knew just this much about music and he tried the hardest that he could like 
asking us to come watch the this concert of like you know the symphony orchestra concert with him when it's on tv or whatever and that's that's our little exposures to art but not so much more than that because i was not born and raised in bangkok oh also so that's another reason why i didn't get so exposed to arts or to to even get to know it mm. yeah where were you born and raised the the northeast korat mm. uh, could you tell us a little bit about that area it's I've a big city heard. in the northeast mm. um people just live their lives mm. and get by have fun and you know they don't ask questions they don't like confrontations they like to keep things simple and fun and yeah in peace and order pretty much like the you know the 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 bigger picture of the society in thailand where people just like to keep things flowing and have no interruptions not not too many questions not too many conflicts and i grew up meeting my dad's friends who are very again like the provincial authorities that would have uh, an air of self importance about them in everything that they say and because you're just you're a minor like my dad was a minor to this person and I'm his daughter there's not yeah, anything okay. that we can say in their face no matter yeah. how you know how um horrible the things they say are we can just stand there smile nod agree yeah i i got in trouble one time in school for for correcting the teacher Oh. And I got called in because she obviously gave us the wrong answer for the the little quiz that we did, and so I objected, and then she was all angry, and I, yeah, and things like that. I just grew up with that all 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 my teenage years. So things like that, I identify it as the tiniest that I grew up with, and I really hate it. Mm. <laughs> and then I came to Chula to Bangkok and got thrown through this faculty of arts and. Was um, exposed to philosophy and arts and culture. Again, that was like the whole new world. And I'm like, I did not know that we could ask questions about existence. What the heck is that? <laughs> like, how, why do anyone wanted to to even question about that? And it got me into this this whole new mentality of thinking and asking and questioning the world. And yeah. Coming from some somebody who was so simple. Yeah. Some of your performances, which we'll we'll talk about in a second. Some of your performances deal with questions of Thai identity and gender. Were there moments in your childhood that you feel like kind of crystallized, I don't know, I suppose sort of your understanding of Thai identity or your understanding of oh. yourself as a as a Thai woman? Yes. I I saw a lot of problematic things in the society that I lived in, like the way you're expected to behave in front of grown-ups, for example, and even worse as a girl, or the way you're supposed to dress, or I noticed little things, even like when you're in a traditional Thai costumes, how that outfit really imposes cultural expectations on you because it forces you to move in a certain way or hold yourself in a certain way. And I could just feel the cultural aspect through the costume that I was wearing, all these restrictions that it imposes on a female body, for example, and I hated that a lot. Yeah. Could you describe that that Thai costume? So you would have either like all these lace, long sleeve blouse in this weather, 
and this uh, skirt that wraps your leg so that you could only take little steps and walk like a a pretty girl, <laughs> you know, <laughs> all the time. Or yeah. even when you sit, there's this like high the belt that comes up high on your waist, for example, hmm. and you would you would have to kind of sit with straight back all the time, or even Thai traditional moves that would uh, require that you keep your chest up and your hips always backwards, so you see the curves very high um, highlighted, things like that. And I mean, I'm not so I wasn't aware of that so much when I was young, of course. But then I knew that I wasn't comfortable in the outfits. But now I I could pinpoint. You know the little things that I don't like, or the cultural uh, aspect that it imposes on my body right. more clearly now. So you can look back now, and you can see that there was a sort of oppression and even tiny movements. Um, yeah. And so now I noticed you're attracted to physical theater, yeah. um, and sort of finding liberation in that. Mm-hmm. Could you Definitely. give us an example of the first time you felt liberated, liberated through movement? Well, the one thing I really stood out in my memory, I don't know if it's related, but I remember this uh, one time that Kang one of the artistic directors, asked us to imagine that you are walking forward with this wind blowing uh, from the front of you. And then imagine that you have your hair very long, maybe it could be like four or five meters long. And every single strand of hair is like affected by this breeze that is blowing so you you were supposed to feel every strand of hair going out in every direction i did not know that i could feel every strand of hair and create a movement or an image on stage or a performance from that and so you know it just takes you to another world to another kind of mentality and the audience would not know that definitely that you are feeling your strands of hair but it gives them something and they will feel something and whatever that something is that's the the little dialogue that we have and they can take home and i can take home yeah or even feeling my sexual organ in order to create a movement something like that you know it's very liberating because in the traditional context you know who would who would ask you to like feel your vagina and move with it like nobody's gonna ask you to do that they would even you know, yell at you for doing it, <laughs> stop you, <laughs> shut you up, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. kick you out, <laughs> pretty much. It just, it just, the way you're describing that, the beautiful way that you described that experience of your imagination generating movement. movement. Um, seeing, you know, just thinking about that that costume which I've never worn, that traditional Thai costume mm. which I've never worn how that would just constrict imagination by its very Definitely. by its very construction right yeah. and it's just that that's all i just find it interesting that that very physical uh, sartorial limitation yeah. on both the body but also on the imagination and that's I, I don't know that just really that really struck me well the the sad thing for me is that we are taught to to think that that kind of restriction is the way to becoming a good person in big quotation in Thai context. And so I wanted to be a good person. So no matter how much I hated it, I tried my best to find a way to to fit in that and stay with the frustration and show everyone that even though I'm frustrated, I can live with it because I want to show that I'm good and I'm I will be that good person that you want me to be. 
And in the art world, you don't have to be good. You don't know what good means. Even today, walking around, when I'm with my theater community, I I have all the liberation and freedom that I want, talking and doing anything that I want without feeling like, is anybody going to say anything about this that we're doing? But once I step outside, just outside, on going on the streets, you're already in that the other world where everybody. Will you know just impose their expectations on you and blah blah blah? Now it's it's only up to you whether you're gonna care mm. <laughs> or how you would react to that. Yeah. Have you lived abroad? I spent the first time one year in America as an exchange student, and maybe that's when I started to have a lot of questions about the Thai society as well because I saw something so different and I brought a lot of. Impressions back to my country, and I see, and I saw a lot of, of differences and contrast mm. when I came back to uh, the last few years in high school. Can you remember while you were abroad, um, the first time, or I guess the first considerable difference that you noticed um, when you arrived mm. in the states? How kids were so independent in America. They worked. <laughs> I was like. <laughs> They work here. If you work, it means you're poor, and you yeah. don't deserve to be our friends because you're poor, <laughs> and you don't. You're, yeah, you're you're not supposed to work. You're supposed to be buying a car and drive around. <laughs> and um, they're so mature. Well, I mean, they're they're kids, but then they have responsibilities, or they try very hard to have to be responsible in the little things that they think is already big in their their time. You know, being the student president, or being the athlete, or you know, doing activities or whatever. They kind they pretty much started to try to take care of their own lives, mm. and here us the kids at that. Age like sixteen, seventeen years old. We 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 don't even start to think about taking care of of ourselves. We only think about having fun, going to school, get the diploma, and fucking get onto the university, <laughs> just like that. And listening to the parents, hmm. be very good kids, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe just to to shift a little bit, sort yeah. of flash forward a little bit. Um, so you talked a little bit about how you got involved uh, with theater mm-hmm. and and B floor. Could you describe a little bit? What I, I think the some of the literature for B floor describes it as as a as a physical theater mm-hmm. troupe. Yeah. Could you talk about about what physical theater means and maybe how it's you've experienced it as distinct from either traditional Thai theater mm-hmm. or dance mm-hmm. or perhaps more conventional text based mm-hmm. staged theater. What it is is a physical and also device theater, meaning you don't have a script. You don't start from a script. You start from the body. You start from the rehearsal process. And if you have images or concept or a message that you want to deliver, you throw it in the rehearsal room and you play around with that concept through your body, your movements. And when we put on a performance, it would. It would use very little text, and we don't rely on language to tell the message. We rely on the body and the visual. The body is part of the bigger image that we're trying to create on stage to give a kind of narrative or an impression for the audience. And we're not going to rely on text because, well, this is my understanding as well. It could be different for other members, but text is too 
didactic and it's very it's so clear and people especially Thai people they have the tendency to grab everything and end their understanding as far as the text goes and they don't allow so much room for other possibilities or interpretation so they would just believe pretty much totally in whatever the text says and so it's an easy way to tell things by in words but when you take the words out then you give the work to the audience to figure it out and that's when the meaningful stuff comes in i think i was reading a review of one of the uh, of a B floor performance yeah. in the nation uh, that I'm going to I'd like to quote to you mm-hmm. uh, and maybe have you respond to a little bit this the the reviewer said that quote theater is the least censored medium in this country mm. thanks perhaps to the least exposure to and impact on the public end quote can you unpack that a little bit for us yeah <laughs> that's true <laughs> how is it how is it true it's small it's so underground that it almost doesn't matter what we do to the the big eyes because they don't see us or even though they see us they can really just look away because we were so small the the independent theater scene in Bangkok is is very active incredibly active but still very limited and very small um so that's the the I think that's one of the things that you talked about, but there's another part about the impact. Really? Well, there, there are two. There are two parts of it that I guess I'm curious about. The first is that it's the least censored, yeah, which yeah. suggests that it's not just that the. I guess the way you're describing it is that the. Uh, the, the big oh, eyes yeah. is that how you said it? Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll look and then look away. But I suppose uh, I, I guess I was sort of thinking about that in terms of that the that there are the least limitations placed upon mm-hmm. theater mm-hmm. or th- or theater productions don't censor themselves. I guess I'm just curious ah, about that. Is that okay. um uh okay. whereas whereas if it's a film or a right, novel right, or right. a television show yeah. mm. it would somehow be different. Could mm. you could you talk about that a little? Yeah, it still it still comes from that idea of us not being seen by by the government or the state. And so because we're not seen, we're pretty much free to do anything, really. And there's no restrictions on theater because they probably don't know that we exist. <laughs> yeah, if, we, if they do know and, and if they do actually realize how much we're saying, maybe they'll start to have some restrictions on us. And do we censor ourselves? Yes, we do. Uh, now that we have this um, military regime with us, we start much more to censor ourselves. But before that, we used to be really quite free. We, we were privileged and underprivileged in at the same time. And because of that, we before this military regime, we were really we really free to touch upon anything. And B floor being very alternative and like questioning in its nature anyway. We we could ask any questions we wanted. Now we're still asking questions, but we have to think more about how to make it subtle and safe. But there, yes, there has been issue of self-censorship a little bit. And it's almost natural in in Thai people, I think, self-censorship, because we have all these taboos, you know, politically related or not, but it's already in the culture. So, So I think we have the nature the tendency to self-censor anyway, but it's not 
so much. And yeah, like uh, movies or books or you know TV dramas, they they are seen and screened by the state directly, and that's why they have to be very careful about that. But we're just off. Off the list, pretty right. much. Well, yeah. it's interesting you say that because that was that was part of a review of the Bangladesh show. Uh huh. Where, where as we my, had my, could you could you, yeah, could you could you describe that? What what happened around that that recent production? Um, it addresses the issue of freedom of expression, and just that phrase alone is already a big problem in this age and time. The the, the performance yeah. itself yes. addressed that. Yeah. And the word la mode means violation. And so with B Floor's reputation plus the title, it's already it can already create, you know, a, whatever narratives in people's heads if they want to think of us in whatever way they want. And it's been staged before in a couple of years back. This is a restaged version. The military was directly informed that we were going to stage this show about freedom of expression and that we might even violate the article 112 in the show. And this happened before we actually staged the show. Mm -hmm. So actually nobody could have known what it would be about because we're still in rehearsal process. But then the military gave us a visit and checked out the theater and asked whether we have written them a letter asking for permission to stage a a show, which we were like, that never happened in our history in anybody's lifetime. And so, yeah, but they, I mean, that happened, I think, because they got notified by somebody who wanted very much that the military knew that this was happening. And we could only guess why they wanted so to. So the military, um, what did they do after this? Did they? They sent soldiers, two soldiers, every evening to record the performance. Every evening. Every evening. They only didn't come on the last two nights or something. Yeah. Before that, they almost, they almost stopped us from from staging the show altogether. But then we said we negotiated because we're like, oh, we advertise, we have people booking already booked the tickets and we can't just cancel it so the 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 choice that we give them is like would you like to be there to see that there's really no problem in the show and just to to show our sincerity in in doing this and this is you know by law or by human rights we have the right to talk about freedom of expression and yeah if you're there you can you can you can be there to see for yourself whether we violate anything that you're concerned about and so they send their staff there two of them every evening to record. And we now the military has all of these videotapes, yes. which we don't know what they're going to do with it. But so far, there hasn't been any effect on us. But of course, somebody in there already knew of our existence mm-hmm. from that, definitely, and maybe know our work. And yeah, but there hasn't been like a, a, a concrete kind of effect on us. Fortunately, <laughs> that's an amazing story. Mm. Uh, and just that image of the were they in were they in military fatigues? What were they what were they wearing? The soldiers on or the first day that they came, they were in in uniforms, the the camouflage outfit. But other nights they were just uh, not in uniforms anymore. They were, they were plain, just plain, plain clothes. clothes. Yeah. yeah, I'm just curious. So I'm just imagining them sitting there filming, and the audience sort of knowing. It's very that- funny. A funny scenario because 
And in the end, we Sounds ended like up having... Sounds like a piece of performance art itself. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we ended up having full house and, you know, a lot of bookings because people wanted to come be in, share the presses with the military right, officers yeah, yeah. and wanted to actually see whether they're actually here. You should have put them on the bill, you know, should have, should have listed yeah, their names. And, 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 and also featuring. Knew already, yeah. yeah, featuring pretty much. <laughs> it, it actually went like that. Yeah, have them join the, the company. The, the, sen- the idea of the censorship of physical movement I guess I'm trying to, I'm struggling to wrap my head around that. Like I understand like when you look at a text, you can say that says some things that yeah, it should not say. Exactly. Mm-hmm. When you are walking into the wind and it is blowing your hair back and they don't know what you're, no one knows, the audience doesn't know what you're thinking. Can you just talk about that? I mean, how do you, how do you guys think about what you're able to do with your bodies and what you're not able to do with your bodies in this, in this climate? There's not a lot of censorship when you work with the bodies, or maybe not at all. Pretty in most cases, um, you only start to concern about censorship when it probably involves nudity, for example, or I don't know, sexual parts, and that's probably the only time that mm-hmm. we're ever concerned about using our bodies. Other than that, if it's just movement, or you know, the images that you you uh, brought in to create movements, then nobody can ever ever pinpoint what it is that you do wrong in this in this like movement series sequence you know because it's not spoken and it cannot be what specified yeah Yeah, exactly what it is so yeah right because you're you're creating impressions in your and it's theoretically it's your interpretation we're not saying anything if you think it's that it's just you and where, you know, where do you find evidence to support that? It's just, yeah. we're just moving like that. Yeah. It could be an insect. Yeah. Or and just for the, for the listeners at home who can't see you, you're sort of moving like a... Like a, a bug like or a bug. whatever. <laughs> Butterflies. You knew what was in your imagination. I was yeah. sort of thinking octopus, but you have, only have two arms. Yeah. So that, that shows the problem of my imagination. I guess it's very freeing because it can't be referenced. No one would be able to cite what exactly. you did specifically yeah. mm, that's very interesting could you talk a little bit about an, another another performance this one night performance you did mm-hmm. i'm sure i'm not going to be able to pronounce it correctly welcome to ulan welcome to ulan yeah could yeah. you could you talk a little bit about that performance and <laughs> i gathered it, you were trying to engage with ideas of thai identity yeah. and it was uh, a couple months after the 2014 coup yeah yeah it was a very spontaneous reaction to the coup i'm like oh i don't I don't know what to do. I, I, oh, okay. I needed to do something. That's what I thought. And if we couldn't have freedom in anything, at least I should be able to dance. <laughs> That's the first idea. So I'm like, I'm going to dance and nobody's going to stop me. Let's just make it happen. So I found the ways to make it happen. So it has to be quite small, quite quick, quite kind of pop up and fun. And just. Uh, Was it in a theater? No, it was in a gallery called Goja in Prakanom. And because at, right after the coup, there was a lot of like, you know, resist, resistance activities and people got chased away, got restricted and people, especially artists and, and creative people felt like they didn't want to, they felt very discouraged to do anything or to say anything or to even come out to meet and talk about the coup because other people, they don't want to talk about the coup. They want to think about the coup as bringing the happiness to the country. And it's all fine and in order now that we have the, the military with us. And of course, the creative people didn't really agree with that. But then we felt so discouraged to, to just sit down together in a cafe and discuss politics. We just thought we, 
yeah, it's the the whole um, atmosphere is really like you know draining and everything. And I'm like, I wanted, I wanted to create a fun night for people who cared about the issue to just come out, meet, and talk, and just just uh, create a space where where yes, let's just come together. There are people like us, like you. And just just meet and discuss this in any way you want, and I'm not gonna lead the conversation or anything. There, there's a short clip of it online, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I was able to watch, and maybe we'll put a link to it on our on our website. Yeah. But I'm I found myself watching you and your the um co- colleague, your the other dancer, mm-hmm. other performer. But I was also watching everyone else in the room yeah, and yeah. watching how they're they're responding, and and that there's that moment in the clip. I'm not sure where it. it happened in the performance where you go around with a big smile on your face uh, offering everyone plastic pistols oh, yes, uh, sort of yeah. grinning guns anyone and when i watched it, even on the even on the video i found myself very taken aback at that moment it was a very oh, i don't really? know what it what, what it was about that but how was that do you remember that moment what was that like to do that now that i re- now i realize what it what it speaks to you as the audience but the the intention of that little scene was songkran hmm. okay. where you just right. play yeah. with the water guns that's very that's very people. interesting cuz yeah, without that context it just looked like you're handing out pistols <laughs> yeah now that you look back i think you, you you think about that because yeah we have this tendency to like or me or b4 have this tendency to talk about politics or whatever but no i meant it to be Songkran, uh, what moment? Mm-hmm. Um, this this little show is structured in the welcome to Ulan is really welcome to Thailand. But I I was so fed up of the word Thailand mm-hmm. and Thai and whatever what it is to be a Thai or Thainess. And there was so much talk about Thainess right around the time of the coup because we are like okay we're bringing back the thailand that it's supposed to be which is like in peace and order or whatever and i was so sick of people trying to define and limit the definition of being thai so i was trying to extract well okay what is so what is thai what is so what it is that you're proud of as a thai is it all these traditions songkran the temples and what else did I have? Laikatong. I had this like short series of representing the the Thai festivals in in my own way or my own interpretation. Well, there's this the, the in this video. Yeah. There's this moment where you enact uh, Laikatong and you give everyone a glass of water yeah. and then have them spit yeah. it out into this big uh, bowl. Yeah, and I floated a magahong in it. That struck me because the irony of Loi Katong is incredibly strong for me because my understanding is that it is a, a festival where you are thanking but also apologizing to the spirit of the water for all of the damage you have done yeah. to her, I believe. Um, exactly. And yet the the very act of apology <laughs> is floating decreasingly decreasingly styrofoam but but uh, there's like bread and other uh, you know uh, but still when you have millions of bread but if you walk along the river even 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 months after they're they're just the 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 -hmm. coastal areas are just are just um littered and choked with all of that (laughs) styrofoam so that that was what i found myself thinking about when i watched that well my 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 feeling about all these thai tradition is that it's so ironic and this irony 
is actually the Thai characteristic and not those traditions. What, what is so Thai is that we insist on doing things that we think is so Thai and it's a good tradition that we should maintain. It's the culture that we should be proud of and we should preserve it. But then you don't realize that that it already defeats the purpose long ago, long time ago. And But still, you for some reason, we just want to keep saying that, oh, but it's a beautiful culture and it 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 uh it reflects our tiness and whoever who who knows what tiness means i don't and i don't and i don't know if a lot of people knows and yeah and actually this irony is very thai when and yeah things like this the, the irony that's everywhere in every corner of this country is actually what it what is so thai to me and not the traditions themselves where do you think this desire or it almost seems like a need to define what is Thai comes from? That's a very good question. It is the question that I, I still have too. Mm. I don't know why we are so desperate to define exactly what Thainess means and we don't allow flexibility or fluidity in the definition at all. It seems like you could you could list out Thainess. If you have this title Thainess, you can make bullet points of what is included in the Thainess, and there would only be so, so many things. What would be on that list? I'm not sure if I can say in in my in my head. I have things that I I'm not sure I can say out loud. But like what would being some... a Buddhist, maybe mm. going to the temple, and uh, I don't know. Not asking. Questions not as the teacher. Jewish questions or not disagreeing with the military, <laughs> maybe, and not disagreeing with other things, other things in the society, and yeah, listening to the grown-ups or people who are senior than you, and dress properly, smile, be nice. Again, don't ask questions. <laughs> don't yeah. Yeah, and 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 it's it, it's really mu- very much in the in the in circles like that, and so you can't move on too much with this list in your head, and and we haven't even really asked ourselves what these means these items on the list, being good, what the heck does that mean? Everybody asked you to be a good person, but but what is your good person really? And right. and. I, you, it's a big issue, I did, think. Did you feel that the 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 performance you did, I didn't launch a thousand ships, which, as I, as I understood it, had to do with female identity, Thai, I, the, uh, some issues of understanding the, the female body. Did that did, does that relate to that list that you're? Yeah, uh, it wasn't really so much on the female body it's about it's i i hope that it would be about a body and a body a human physical body and the body of a nation or the country this country how we are so keen to to put up pretty covers over the ugly things and say that everything's finished everything's clean now we can live happily ever after again Again, that is so Thai for me. How you how you don't want to talk or dig into the problems. What you do is you find a pretty cover, and then it's done. I think we we have this idea of like 
We have to be beautiful. I like the word postcard version of Thailand, and that's always want, what we want to present to the world. But we know that we're not the postcard version of ourselves, and we never accept that we're not. We're never. We may maybe we were, but we're 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 not that for a long time. And shall we stop? Sending out that message and look back in and just you don't have to accept it. Of course, you can try to change the ugly things, but then if you don't accept that it's here, it's under your skin. How are you going to even start to go around, go about the issue? Yeah. So it's like also it's like how a person or a woman treats her own body. If you don't accept that. If you have a tan skin, you can't be white. You will not be blonde. <laughs> you will not be. A, you will not have a Caucasian fair. Skin. If you're born tanned, mm. and are you going to bleach your skin until you die, or what? Yeah. yeah. I'm just. It's. It's a bit, a little bit of a non sequitur, but it, but with everything going on in the world right now, I'm just thinking about th this young, this young woman, Pim, who is responsible for the re releasing the information about the the transmission from Mars, mm -hmm. and. How you know she's now holed up? I think still in the Mexican embassy in Paris, and because I guess she's worried about what might happen to her mm, <laughs> if yeah, she's of if course. she. Um, but I'm just thinking about. I mean, she's a she's Thai French, but she was born in Thailand, and I'm just thinking about that decision to disclose that information to the world, and how I don't know. It just seemed from the list of of. Non or list of Thai things that you were you were giving yeah, us there. It yeah. seems that what she did is not on that list. A little untie. A little yeah. untie. Yeah. I mean, pretty much disrupts the whole list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being outspoken as a woman is untie. Mm -hmm. Being outspoken about important political issues is very untie. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to stay very, you know, prim and proper in your own little yeah. domestic uh, frame at home or whatever. Yeah. But it's brave. I mean, no, and no, I was just thinking yeah. about her as a as a as a scientist, and yeah. you know, you know the the sciences in general, and I imagine the space agency is very male heavy, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very yeah. male dominated. So even with yeah, thinking about it, you know, yeah. no, I mean, I'm I'm she's sort of a hero. I mean, in the midst of I'm sure she's a hero will, of mine, yeah. but in the midst of all of the other, you know, the the other insanity that's reminds been going me on. of like Edward Snowden, for example, yeah. that kind of. You know the kind of revelation that he yeah. brought to the world. Yeah. But I'm sure there will be like Facebook comments like, "Oh, she's a woman. Why don't she just stay home and cook?" Right. You know. <laughs> Have you seen the Thai response to what Pim has done? How have Thai people responded? Uh, it's a very typical Thai thing that has happened. Is wow, we should be so proud. We have a Thai female scientist. <laughs> There's this this phrase in 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 by Thai people that we used to to use a lot, because it comes from an advertisement. I think like, uh, it it translates into Thailand is second to none in the world, and mm -hmm. we try to realize that idea is in in every way possible or when any opportunity comes. And this is again the opportunity to say that that see we're second to nobody <laughs> in the world because we have a female scientist who made. Who has made it up there and even revealed this important information, <laughs> which 
all these comments are like totally irrelevant to the issue, but that's okay because we now we can be proud that we have a female scientist that made it there. That's interesting. So there's, there's a, there seems like there's a little bit of tension there. On the one hand, this this desire to be proud of that yeah. and celebrate that. On the other hand, uh, she probably shouldn't have probably, she probably shouldn't have done that. But still, it's kind of. That's, yeah. that's... I think it's the desire to be a part of it, to be involved, mm. to be personally involved with somebody else's achievement yeah. pretty much <laughs> yeah by relating the, yeah. the the nationality or yeah. whatever i don't i don't want to get into the big issues of the day mm, that really mm, don't mm. have anything to do with your life and your art but i i was just it, it was just occurring to me when you were describing how you kind of constructed your performances and sort of begin with an idea has it occurred to you how you might put together a performance responding to the news of the whatever those objects are coming from Mars, like how you would, I mean, I'm just thinking, I would love to see a performance. Mm. I would love to see a performance of that. Because <laughs> it would do, because yeah. it would replace all the fear and anxiety I have with something, even if it was only for the period of time that I'm witnessing that performance. I think the issue in this that would speak to me is the fear and anxiety itself. And perhaps we can take a moment and come to a performance or, you know, participate maybe in an interactive performance that would let you explore your fear and why you fear certain things mm-hmm. and why this approaching of this unknown objects are fearful to you. Why is Why do you fear it? Do you fear it because you would die or the world is going to explode? I mean... If you ever sit down and explore your fear in that way, you would get this weird conclusion in the end that there's not really anything to fear. Fear, I mean, I say this without deep analysis about this, but then from what I imagine that the analysis would go, is like, you know, when you keep asking questions, you would come to a kind of void mm. at the end of your analysis that what you fear is really what is pre constructed in your head Mm -hmm. and yeah like you should fear death and you have been taught or you know instilled in your head that death is something to be feared or death of the world the earth is something to be feared but then is it really something to be feared and what happens after you die or the world breaks apart i mean you don't we don't know for sure what happens with the afterlife or life after death and and so why do you fear that? It could be a good thing we could all go to a bar or something. I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, bar. really think how, thinking the possibilities, then you, you, I believe that uh, you might come to that kind of avoid kind of conclusion in the end. But also the process of anal- uh, analyzing your fear is a fearful thing itself because you don't know what you might find in the end and you might not even want to reach that point. Yeah, because that was the exact, that was, you've just described the experience I had of listen, listening to you mm. because in my, in my mind, I was like, you, I would love to see you do a performance of this because it would make me feel good. And then you described how you would make me feel <laughs> fearful <good. laughs> and, and, and have to explore my fear. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to do that at no. all. And then you sort of took this, so I got all anxious, even just you describing doing that. Really? I, it was just, it was, it's, I don't think you can come to a B-floor performance <laughs> expecting to feel so 
good. <laughs> yeah. No, that's no, that's true. Uh, the, the only the only performance I've I've seen uh, in person was the um, I'm blanking on the name. It was the performance exploring uh, infectious disease. What was it oh, called? Oh, survival games. Survival games. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And that was a wonderful yeah. performance. Yes, yeah. which does make one feel uncomfortable. <laughs> so I should have I should have thought about it. But that's again, it's, it's more about me as an audience member and my desire than than you. Yeah. But um, we. We should let you go. Okay. Um, but thank you so much for taking thank all this time to, to, to chat with us. And we'll put up some links to Floor's work and okay. um, some videos, maybe. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank for you. To all right. Thanks. <laughs> uh, a number of things struck me after listening back to the interview with Poupe, I was really I was really struck by how she talked about the importance of her theater community, the importance of that community and the closeness of a group of people that are all kind of open to self-analysis, to self-critique, to exploring uncomfortable things together, and how she described the difference of of, of being inside with 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 that group, with her theater troupe, and then walking out on the street. I could just yeah. picture that happening. Well, I've been to that. I, I know the theater where they perform, and I imagine her walking down those stairs and out onto the street. And as she said, that sort of welling up of all of the understanding of how everybody else, yeah. uh, normal people, <laughs> are going to be regarding her or thinking about her, and all the things that all of a sudden she needs to that list that she talked about, all of those right. those those elements of, of traditional tiness that would be at play. I was just I was really really struck by that, and you know. In episode two, Dino also talked about how important the community was. But it seemed for Pupe, it seemed more the sort of creative and intellectual safety mm. of that community seemed really, really important to her. So Yeah. Um, I also found it that especially fascinating because it's sort of the opposite of Kathy, who's sort of like a lone wolf. Uh, her approach, her, her work comes out of more isolation. So it was kind of... It was kind of. It's been nice to see the the juxtaposition between the different guests that we've had, and especially um, like building off of that. This common thread that we've been seeing throughout is just this oppressive, these oppressive social structures that generate fear inside you. Yeah. Um, and then the story she told about her father and that beautiful quote: "Stand there, smile, agree." Yeah. And that so many people are yeah. just. Walking around, thinking that at all times, stand there, smile, agree, and how how demoralizing that can be after a while. Well, demoralizing either subconsciously. I was gonna, I was just thinking because I imagine a lot of people are not are not conscious of that, you oh, know. Yeah. And I mean, and, and the that sort of idea of of conforming, not just as a matter of fitting in, but as a means to actually, I don't know, to actually survive, survive and yeah. to actually to actually survive, and that's the. the yeah. Yeah, the ne- the necessity of that, and how to operate within these social, the, within this social context. And again, I, I try to remind myself that back in the U.S., we'd both be operating within a collection of social hierarchies yeah, and yeah, and, uh, and norms that we're aware of or not aware of to varying degrees. But but again, it was very it was very poignant the way she was talking about right, that. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, and like you said, the America has you know those like similar hierarchies, but I I feel like here <laughs> the stakes are a lot higher. Uh, the stakes are a lot higher. I, a lot of times, living here reminds me of McCarthyism. 
um, in the U.S. how somebody told soldiers that there's a performance that might have something that could be offensive and that the military would respond to that and take it seriously. That, to me, is frightening. Um, And then the idea that they have tapes and recordings just waiting. But it was was amazing hearing her describe that the – the soldiers sitting there and how the people wanted and people, audience members wanted to come to the performance because to see, <laughs> yeah. to see that, you know, yeah. and, and, and participate in that. And then I like that they didn't come to the last two performances. I wonder what the conversations were about that, whether they, <laughs> whether somebody actually like sat down and reviewed the tapes and was like, yeah, there's nothing. Or they're like, no, we got enough. Or like, I don't want to see that. Yeah, I don't want to see yeah. that nonsense again. It makes me yeah. feel uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't like, be... I don't like what it's making me think about. Yeah. True. Yeah. I would like to have, been a fly on the wall on that yeah. conversation maybe some higher up was like i don't want the soldiers mm-hmm. i don't oh, want right. the, i don't want those guys i don't want them experiencing that much art right yeah. that's that's too much yeah I, it's it's thailand is it's very fascinating in many ways and how um there is as she as Pupe pointed out this desire to want to preserve and promote thainess and that also involves promoting their traditional arts um and like classic Thai theater, but they're very reluctant mm-hmm. to adopt innovations in those arts or new new branches of that art. Yeah, adopt Except, into yeah. adopt into that that larger definition of yeah. Thainess, and, and so that irony to yeah. me is kind of is kind of yeah. fascinating. I but, mean, it just re- I don't know. It reminded not precise corollaries, but in the same ballpark. In the U.S., I think of, you know, it's been a while now, but, you know, for a while that fear about Spanish (laughs) becoming, you know, a dominant language, you know, becoming, has become a dominant language. And, you know, we need to pass a law that English is the national language, you know, that sort of that, that odd, that odd and deeply problematic fear of, of one variety of America overwhelming someone else's idea uh, of America. And so you need to protect it with laws. The preservation of it. I've heard someone describe it as the preservation of a certain kind of American identity, Mm. that we should focus on the preservation of a certain kind of American identity, says the country full of people that aren't from there. Right. (laughs) What? A certain kind of American identity. Yeah, exactly. They mean, they mean crow identity. I think (laughs) it's what they mean. They mean, they mean Sioux identity. Yeah. I was just, I was also, I was also really struck by how she talked about freedom of expression with her body as opposed yeah. to what happens with text, what happens with language. And I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that a lot, you know, sort of what it is that you can accomplish with your body in dance or physical theater that, yeah, and how that does create images in your mind and how that does sort of send your mind into comfortable or uncomfortable yeah. territory. I mean, I, I appreciate I'm calm enough now. I appreciate what she, you know, what, when I asked her that question about what a performance would be about, about the whales, right, coming from Mars, how she talked about how she would, she would want to think about fear and anxiety and make us. I mean, I don't know if you told her that I was filled with fear and anxiety, but she, uh, pick up you know, on she it. maybe she picked up. Yeah, I just, uh, uh, it's in my pheromones um, that you know, that she would want to do a performance that, that, that put you into that process and made you feel all of that. And I just, uh, I, I appreciate that. Cause again, yeah, that is, that is what 
It's why I used to read a lot of poems. I, I went there to, to experience what it would make me feel, whatever that was, and that that moment of just living within that poem or within that work of art. So I really, I really did appreciate that, yeah. even if I don't want to go to that performance. I don't think it's for you, Colin. It's not for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't like horror films, so. Oh, yeah. That's for the best. I, I don't think you should. <laughs> I don't think you should. <laughs> let's just let's just watch. As a old, concerned friend, let's just yeah. watch old original Star Trek. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go. So we had a we had a great time interviewing Pepe and want to thank her for giving us so much of her time coming out here to Rock Academy. You can find links to recordings of Welcome to Uland and other performance other performances of hers on our website, poetinbangkok.com. And please do follow us on Twitter and Facebook. If you like what we're up to here on this podcast, please uh, consider giving us a, a nice ranking there on iTunes. It really does help us reach new listeners. And as you might imagine, a podcast about poets and writers in Bangkok isn't always the easiest or clearest sell uh, <laughs> to netizens. Also, and we feel a little strange asking this, when the sky might be falling in a couple of weeks, uh, if you we don't you, know that. <laughs> if you feel if, if you like what we're up to here and want to support us, please go to Patreon.com/slash/PoetInBangkok or follow the link from our website. Um, a few dollars per episode will help us to pay some expenses and maybe let us do a second season if the sky doesn't fall. Thanks to everyone who's been listening to the podcast and has written to us about it and written about us. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, thank you for supporting us on Patreon or saying nice things about us online. Um, thanks to Anna and Mark for their continued support behind the scenes. Thanks to Martin Pavlinich and his band Reports for our opening theme music. And to Put Wednesday for additional music on today's podcast. That's his stuff you're listening to here on the outro. And thanks again to everyone at Rock Academy and the Freeze Green Club. Tell your friends about us, whether they are into interpretive dance, music, comics, innovative theater, or just quirky podcasts in this era of missions to Mars. And whether you live in Bangkok or D.C., Cape Town or San Diego, Ho Chi Minh or Salt Lake City, we hope that you'll keep listening to what we get up to here on Poet in Bangkok. All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Lord willing, creek don't rise.